All right, now that we've seen Genesis 1-1 in terms of the who of creation, the what, the why, the how, what I want to do now is move to Roman numeral 2 and look at creation as a Trinitarian act. Because too often people associate creation with just God the Father, right? And we attribute, uh, is, the, is the expression, we attribute creation to God the Father, and we attribute redemption to God the Son, and we attribute sanctification to God the Holy Spirit. And there's some truth to that. I mean, the catechism is kind of organized in that way. But in, in reality... The Trinity is unified in the Godhead. There is one God and three persons. The only thing that distinguishes uh, the persons of the Trinity are their relations. So God the Father is not God the Son, nor God the Spirit. God the Son is not God the Father, nor God the Spirit, and so on and so forth. So everything else they have in perfect unity. So only their relations separate them. So while we attribute creation to God the Father, in actual fact, creation is an act of all three persons of the Trinity. Okay, and so uh, Genesis, the opening verses of Genesis, we can see the hints and the vestiges, kind of the presence of all three persons of the Trinity implicitly, and it's not going to be till the New Testament that this is made explicit through the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the apostles get this. So we're going to come back to that. We'll look at John 1 and Colossians 1 in just a second, uh, where, the, where the implicit is made explicit through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's a unity in the Trinity, a Trinity in the unity. A creation is of all three persons. So we should see in here in these opening verses, the three persons of the Trinity. And in fact, St. Ambrose says here in the top of your notes, one who pays close attention, right? So we gotta be paying attention. One who pays close attention will recognize the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the beginning. The Father creates the heavens and the earth, the Spirit moves over the waters, and the Son, who acts while the Father is speaking, separates the light from the darkness. And that last line is pretty cool. I want to take you full circle back to this when we go to John chapter 1, separates the light from the darkness, okay? So where is the Trinity in the opening verses? What I'd like to do here is let's just read the first few verses and then unpack this a little bit. So here we are, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which we just studied, but in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then it goes on, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, etc., etc. Call the light day, etc. Okay, we'll stop right there. So where is God the Father? This is pretty easy to point out because it's God, right? Elohim who creates. Uh, so that's a pretty easy one. That's kind of like a softball <laughs> softball throw right there. Uh, wiffle ball, really. Um, and then you've also got the presence of the Spirit. That's also really, really easy to point out because it says the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Fine. Uh, spirit is ruach in Hebrew. It could be wind or breath or spirit. The translation of spirit is, is a good one. Um, even in other places in the Pentateuch and the Old Testament, you have Ruach translated as the Spirit, the Spirit of God. I have one example for you from Genesis 41. You could go to your commentary and find a whole bunch more. Uh, but Genesis 41 I picked because it's from the book of Genesis, which is what we're studying. So Pharaoh said to his servants regarding Joseph, Can we find such a man as this in whom is the Ruach, the Spirit of God? Right, so here the Ruach is moving or hovering over the waters, and so we can identify God the Spirit right there very, very easily. Now, before we move on to God the Son, I want to stop for just a second because the Hebrew word, the verb that is being described as moving or hovering over the waters, 
is actually often what could be translated as fluttering, like a bird flutters when it flies in the, in the sky or above the trees or wherever the, wherever the birds fly, the bird flutters. And that's really, really fascinating because if you can use your imagination, the Spirit of God here in Genesis 1 in the original creation account, the Spirit is fluttering over the waters. And, and this is kind of a foreshadowing of a couple of really important points coming up. Now, in John chapter, it's not John, in Genesis chapter 9, there's the story of the flood. And we'll spend a lot more time looking at this in a number of lessons down the line. But for right now, what I want to point out is, if you can imagine, there's the floodwaters. There's Noah and Mrs. Noah and their children floating around like a, like a cork in the water. And the rain has stopped, and, and he wants to find out if the waters are receding. So he sends out that dove. It comes back. Uh, anyway, the story goes on. He sends out the dove again, and it doesn't come back and he realizes the waters have receded. Well, this is interesting because the story of the flood where the waters have now covered the face of the earth and now Noah is sending a dove out there and it's fluttering over the waters, this is echoing back to the creation story because as I'm gonna teach you down the line, the flood is basically a recreation story. Uh, it is a decreation, recreation. God is hitting the reset button for reasons we'll talk about later. And now Noah is basically a new Adam, and he sends out this dove to see if land has, has appeared, right? If the waters have receded. So already you've got that connection with the dove fluttering over the waters. Now fast forward to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, you'll remember very well in Matthew chapter 3, J Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He goes under the water, and the Spirit of God descends in the form of a dove over the waters of his baptism. Why is that important? Well, lots to say here, but basically, if in the first creation, you've got the Spirit hovering above the waters, that is revisited in Noah as a new Adam and a new creation with the dove fluttering over the waters. What's going on here is that in the, in the baptism of Christ, when he establishes the baptism of, of the sacrament of baptism, what's going on here is that we are made new creatures when we are baptized. We die, we go under the water, and we die to our sinful self, the old creation. We rise in Christ as new creatures. And so we are reborn, we're regenerated by water and the Spirit. And this is exactly what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Here in your notes, I have John chapter 3, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This rebirth is really the sense of recreation. It's this theme that we keep talking about here. We're only two lessons here in the Genesis, right? Uh, but creation, the original creation, is, gonna, is ruined by sin. We'll talk about that in a couple of lessons. But it will be restored. There will be a new creation in Christ. In order for our souls to be born again, we need to die to our old self and rise with Christ. And that happens, according to Jesus, by water and the Spirit. Okay, this is, and this is exactly what we see in the creation account and the flood account. Water in the spirit, new creation comes up. Titus 3, 5 here as well in your notes says the same thing. Uh, we, the, the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the spirit. It's interesting that Paul says the washing of regeneration. He uses that explicit, very important word. You can hear Genesis in that regeneration. The washing of the water regenerates us and it's the renewal of the spirit. So water and spirit makes us new creatures. And we can see all of this foreshadowed implicitly through typology right here in the opening verses of Genesis. So that the fluttering of the spirit, yeah, that, that verb, like a, like a bird, is really, really important. <clears throat> but later on, we're going to see that being unpacked through the flood and then, of course, in the New Testament. So I wanted to clarify that typological connection for you. 
So let's get back and be like, okay, so we got God the Father, we got God the Holy Spirit, where is God the Son? And St. Ambrose already kind of gave us a hint. It's when God speaks, okay? So God speaks creation into existence. There was nothing, and then it comes into existence by his effortless, efficacious, powerful word. Okay, that's really beautiful as we just saw here in Genesis 1.1. We looked at all that in in section number one. So he speaks uh, everything into existence with his word. And Jesus, now this is all implicit now in the Old Testament, but it is made explicit by the New Testament in a couple of really important verses. In John chapter one and in Colossians chapter one, you also have Hebrews chapter one, but I I didn't put that in your notes. What I wanted to do actually is to give you the whole section of John one and Colossians one, but the catechism actually puts the two together in paragraph 291, which I want to read for you right now. Okay, so um, here in your notes, uh, catechism 291 says this. Now it opens up by quoting John chapter one, verses one through three. In the beginning, and this is intentional, by the way, John is making a specific callback, um, an echo to the creation account. So he says, in the beginning, which, which is supposed to make us think of Genesis, in the beginning the, was a word, and the word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, end quote. Okay, so that's John 1, verses 1 through 3. So John is telling us, what is implicit is now being explicit in the beginning was the word, was the word of God. When God speaks, that is the presence of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And everything that was made was made through him. So the catechism goes on and says the New Testament reveals, that's a very important word because this is divine revelation. We would not know anything about the Trinity unless it were revealed to us by God. So the New Testament reveals that God created everything by the eternal word, his beloved son. And now the catechism is going to quote Colossians 1, 16 through 17. In him, all things, so this is what Paul is saying now. In him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. End quote. So that's Colossians 1. So John and Paul and basically, you know, the whole New Testament witness, the revelation is that in the beginning was Jesus, the word of God. All things come into existence through him, by him, for him. Um, so this is, this is what, what's being revealed. And let me go on here with the catechism quote. The church's faith likewise confesses the creative action of the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, the creator spirit, the source of every good. Okay, so catechism 291 ties it all together here. So John 1 and Colossians 1 is making explicit when God speaks, that is the second person of the Trinity, it is God. But John is doing a lot more in that than verses one through three that the catechism quoted here. When he begins in the beginning, what John is trying to say is that there is essentially through Jesus, the word of God, there's going to be a new creation. If I had time, we would look at the whole structure of John one and two, everything leading up to the wedding of Cana, where there's this whole depiction really of a new creation going on. But I just wanna share with you one simple, like call it an appetizer if you want, where John is making explicit what is um, implicit in the Old Testament. So you notice in verses one through three, he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, all things were made through him, etc." And it ends at verse three. Well, it's interesting because verse four continues on by saying, it's here in your notes, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he goes on from there. This is really interesting here because in the original creation, on day one, God uh, says, let there be light, and he separates the light from the darkness. 
All right, now what John is doing in his opening chapter is he is depicting a new creation through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the Word, He is God, all things come into existence through Him. And he says explicitly, Jesus is the light of the world and, he set, and the darkness has, does not know it. The darkness rejects it, the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world for the new creation account. And to take this one step further, just to kind of hopefully drive home the point, that's the, so the original creation, light and darkness is separated on the first day. This is true through Jesus Christ. When Jesus conquers death, Satan, sin, and death, his light overcomes darkness. Now, on the first day of the new creation is technically speaking the resurrection. When Jesus rises on the first day of the new week, which is Sunday, the light has entered into the world, having conquered Satan, sin, and death. So the new creation is, is Jesus rising from the dead, him as the new light of the new and, and life, bringing, uh, bringing us, making us a new creation, okay? So I hope you're following me here because there's, there's a lot more to say that's running through my mind. But in the new creation on day one, the day of the resurrection, Jesus is the light and the life of, of everything, bringing us back to the Father. So right there you can see the parallel here. The parallel here. In the old creation, the separation of light and darkness. New creation, separation of light and darkness through the resurrection of Jesus on the first day. I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay, perfect. Good. All right, so that is the presence of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, implicitly made explicit in the New Testament with such verses as John. We will definitely do a Bible study on John. We'll have a lot more time to go through the rest of uh, of that gospel, but really, John is depicting this new creation through Jesus Christ. It's, it's terrific, okay? So, um, one more thing here with the kind of a hint of the Trinity I have at number four in your notes is the use of plural language. What you're going to notice where later on in verse 26, when speaking about the creation of Adam or mankind, he says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. That plural, that first person plural, often people will say it's like the royal we, oh, let us do this, right? Um, it's, which is very unlikely. Or he, God is speaking to the angels. Um, that's also very likely because in Scripture only God creates, okay? And it's talking about the creation of man, so it can't be angels who create. What this is is, a again, a Trinitarian illusion. Let us make man referring to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have this repeated again, or at least you find it in two other passages. In 322, uh, after the sin of Adam and Eve, God says again, he's become like us, knowing good and evil. And then in 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 7, uh, with the Tower of Babel, he says, let us go down and basically see what they're up to. So there's the repetition. In fact, I don't think it's an accident that three times the plural language is used, first person plural. So for all of this, I think that's enough on this uh, argument that creation is a Trinitarian act. Uh, now let us go and look at what we just read here. There's a major problem in creation, which is that the earth is formless and void. So Roman numeral three, let's look at the, basically the creation of matter and form. Okay, there's, there's nothing. And now we're going to see how you've got this amorphous mass of, you know, this chaotic amorphous mass of matter there. And God is going to solve the problems of emptiness and formlessness here in the six days. So let's look at that now, Roman numeral three. Hi, I'm Dr. Nick. Thank you so much for watching this clip. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you want to access the entire lesson and the entire course, come visit us over at scriptureandtradition.com and join our community of students. You'll be able to access all of my courses in the audio library. Plus, you'll be able to access my live courses whenever I teach a new topic on scripture or the Catholic faith. God bless you.